0: Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Eliza and I go to teach church. And we're going to read two passages to you today. The first one is...
1: Proverbs 19, verse 23.
0: The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The second passage is...
1: 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse... Three to ten.
0: These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs.
1: Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you. If I haven't met you personally, my name's Pete Stacey and I'm the evening pastor here at Shelf Harbour City Anglican Church. On Thursday this week, I had the privilege of driving around the suburbs delivering cookies and slices and cakes as part of our Share the Love Baking Day. It was so good to see some of you in person uh, there, you know, in the front yard near your doors, uh, just to be able to catch up uh, on on life. Uh, We're so looking forward to seeing you back here soon-ish. And can I just say a huge thanks to all those who use their time and their money uh, to bake so much yummy food. Uh, You're such a good example of the things that I'm sharing today using what God has blessed us with to be a blessing to others. Now, we were hoping for at least 50 items to deliver. We ended up with well over 70. So I just want to say a big thank you to everyone uh, that was involved in that uh, that day. Today, uh, we're going to talk a bit about money. And who remembers this? It's an Australian $1 note. And I've got a few other old notes and coins. I can still remember doing lots of jobs around the home as a kid just trying to earn one of these. Sweep the veranda, water the young fruit trees, clean out the chooks' shed, a bit of weeding and yes, I've earned one Australian dollar. It went a long way in the lolly section of our corner shop. You know, money gets you things. As a seven-year-old, the goal might be a handful of cobbers or redskins or milk bottles or chalk bullets. But as we get older, our appetites change. We want bigger things, more expensive things, things that will last a bit longer. And for most people, including Christians, money becomes one of several key areas of life that shapes and challenges the priorities and the attitudes of our heart. So let's ask God to help us learn from his wisdom in such a life-shaping part of life. Let's pray. Our oh, Father in heaven. Where you are now, we will one day be. So please help us in this area of money especially to so order our lives to reflect our belief that we will one day be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to ask a lot of questions today, questions to help us think about money and possessions and wealth, questions that will help us reflect on our attitudes And motives to those things, uh, questions that are intended to point our hearts and our thinking towards Jesus. I'll start with this question to kick off. Uh, Which verse in today's Bible reading is one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible? It's verse 10 isn't it? It says, money is the root of all evil. No it doesn't. This is what it actually says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, because of the common misreading and misquoting of the verse, some Christians speak as though poverty is a virtue and wealth is evil. Now, other Christians, on the other hand, present the opposite view, that being rich is a mark of God's blessing and being poor signals that something is wrong. Or well, let's look at it closely And we'll keep it on the screen while we consider what it means. Money itself is not evil. In fact, it's a good gift from God. And we've already learned back in chapter four what to do with God's good gifts. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Money is a necessary part of life. And we need to remember that it is God who provides us with all that we need. He does this in a variety of ways, such as paid employment or success in business, perhaps an allowance from parents or the government, or as a gift from other people, or simply when our ad on Facebook or Gumtree is finally successful. Now, God cares for our needs, and the right response is to thank him. More than that, he wants us to enjoy it and use it in a way that honours him. And we do that by the word of God and prayer. In other words, by using money in the way he shows us in his word and seeking his heart for this part of our lives through humble, dependent prayer. And then money becomes a, a delightful tool for bringing glory to God enjoying what he's blessed us with and using it to bless others and to build his kingdom. You know, the way we manage our money then becomes a joyful adventure of faith. But for many people, Christians included, it's not like that at all. Look again at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, love is probably the most powerful emotion and force we experience in life God's our best example for God so loved the world that he he sent his only son because of his love for us God held nothing back not even his only son now when we love someone or something we don't hold back either we spend most of our time and energy thinking about them or, or it so it is with money if we love money we spend most of our time and energy thinking about how we'll get it, how we'll keep it safe, how we can spend it in a way that brings us joy and and satisfaction. So let me ask, how much of your head and your heart is consumed by a focus on money? Take note this week of what fills your thinking and what things cause you to become excited and take note also of what your heart does when anything causes you, causes you to become anxious. Where do you turn for hope and comfort? God? Money? Perhaps something else altogether? These are searching questions worth reflecting on. Now, one thing I've liked about lockdown is a lot less junk mail, but I feel it's about to change in a big way with restrictions easing, opening up, and, and Christmas not far away either. Now, Australia has been spared from the worst of the COVID pandemic, but we've been hit hard by another pandemic that's been raging for decades in Australia with almost no resistance at all. It's called materialism, the love of money, and we're all infected to some degree. God says to us through Paul, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money by itself does not lead to evil, but the love of money, making money the priority of our hearts, making money our God, that leads to all kinds of evil. Money is a useful servant, but a very cruel God. Before we move on, notice that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, the thing about roots is that they're under the surface. You don't see them. Uh, So it is with the love of money sometimes. Uh, Evil can flourish because of an undetected love of money under the surface. Consider Judas. He was one of the 12 disciples for three years. But when Jesus predicted his betrayal, the other disciples had no idea who it would be. As for Judas, he must have known that Jesus would be mocked and ill-treated and probably even killed. And yet his love for money had continued undetected and unrestrained so severely that he blinded his judgment and just took control of him. Dear friends, let us not underestimate how easily our own hearts could deceive us in this area of loving money. And let us not be blind to the evil it can produce. Let's not allow love for money and the affluence that it brings to cause us to deny Jesus. Or to desert him altogether. The thing I find so astonishing is that Jesus knew all along who would betray him and why. And yet he still chose Judas. And he still loved him anyway. And you know what? God does not give up on each one of us either. Lastly, in verse 10, it says all kinds of evil. The love of money can lead to jealousy, theft greed, hatred, even murder. The list goes on and on. In fact, Paul began this very passage with a long list that led up to this issue of money. These are the things you ought to teach and insist on. Now, he's reflecting back on the letter so far, and I'm going to do that for us next week as we finish our series. But look at what follows. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... They are conceited and understanding nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. Who have been robbed of the truth and who, and here's the the root problem of all that evil, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. There it is, friends, the love of money even among leaders and teachers and preachers. That's why back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, it includes not lovers of money in the criteria for leaders in God's household. So what's the answer to this, this deep-seated problem? How can we guard against it? And of course, the whole Bible is full of wonderful answers to help and guide us, like all those verses from the book of Proverbs that were read out for us earlier. Here in this passage, verse 6 is an excellent start. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Note that it does not say contentment alone. If we remove the love of money from the throne of our hearts, something or someone else must take its place. And God says clearly right throughout the scriptures is that he alone rightly sits and truly satisfies that place in our hearts. Godliness, in other words, a life built on loving and serving God, that provides the necessary foundation for true contentment to flourish. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. God has promised to provide his children with the basic needs of life. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter six, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, in other words, all the needs and necessities of life, all these things will be given to you as well. Friends, knowing that the riches of heaven await all who trust in Jesus, are we content with God's provision of the basic necessities In life now, do we thank him for his faithfulness? Do we also ask him for his help when things are tough? Or are we more inclined to blame him for our trouble? Do we sometimes look to money instead of God as the answer to life's challenges, as the answer to our desire for happiness? God says in verse 9 here, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into success and happiness. (laughs) What does it say? Plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do our attitudes and lifestyle clearly show that we believe what this verse is saying? Yeah, when someone asks how much money is enough, most people in Shell Harbour would honestly say, a bit more than what I've got right now. You know, we're among the richest 2% of people on the planet. The trouble is, we tend to compare to neighbours, those around us, uh, instead of comparing globally. And we feel that there are many people who have more than what we have. Poor little me. And then we're tempted to believe that ancient lie. You'll be happy if you have what they have. And we're tempted to give in to the ancient sin of coveting. Wanting what others have. And sometimes that leads to other sins, doesn't it? Being unkind or or rude to others. Uh, Perhaps even stealing from others. More often, though, it leads to people, including Christians, chasing the idea that money and all the things that you can buy with it will somehow make us happy and content and satisfied in life. And that, my friends, is not what the scriptures tell us. Friends, if the love of money takes root in our lives, it's often followed by bitterness and jealousy if we feel that we compare unfavorably to those around us. Or it produces pride and vanity if we place ourselves above others in the economical pecking order. And the ruin and destruction mentioned in verse 9 is sometimes obvious in people's lives. But you know what I think most of the time? It's hidden in the heart. And people try to look okay on the outside, but live lives of quiet dissatisfaction and desperation on the inside. See how our key verse ends. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Love for Jesus and love for money, or any other idol for that matter. It simply doesn't work. Some have wandered from the faith. They no longer follow Jesus. That is devastating. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I've got another question for you. What do you do with weeds in your garden? Do you dig them out, roots and all? That way they're not going to come back. That's exactly what we have to do if the love of money has taken root in our hearts. So I'm going to give you five things to do. This is something we can all do. First uh, word is this, reflect. They're all R words. I like alliteration. helps us remember it. Reflect on this area of our lives. Answer the questions I've raised uh, during this short talk. Talk to others who know you. Ask God to help you be honest with yourself. Uh, Reflect on your life. So then you can, number two, recognise any area of sin in your heart. Be specific. Take notes. Write it down. Take it seriously. And then after we recognise it, then we can, third one, repent. You know, I found it really helpful to actually write out a prayer, admitting specific things to God, asking him to forgive me and inviting his Holy Spirit to cleanse my heart and change my behaviour. And part of the change that comes about is that fourth word, reconcile. Sometimes we need to restore relationships, not just with God, but with other people that have been damaged by our own sinfulness. This can be very, very humbling but very liberating. And it's it's the right thing to do. So we've got reflect, recognise our sin, repent, turn from it, reconcile with God and others, and last one, resolve. Set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts and serve him only. Resolve to honour him by living in accordance with his good word. He wants the best for us. And work out what that will look at in the specific areas of sin that you have recognised as well. Reflect, recognise, repent, reconcile and resolve to live a different life as a result. It's a helpful pattern. Yeah, I mean, it kind of works to any area of life, really. But why not start this week in the area of money and possessions and finances and the way we, we handle that in our lives? Besides, next week, we're going to be exploring this a little bit further as we conclude this series and come to the end of the book of 1 Timothy. Now, in closing, let me just say this. Money, it's a good gift of God that can bring great joy to our lives and bless those around us and be such a great tool for building God's kingdom at home, in the community, and right around the world. But it can also be a snare to our devotion to Jesus. In the words of verse 10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's no direct connection, but the word pierced in that verse, it just reminds you of Jesus on the cross. Yeah, you know, He suffered and died to pay for every one of our sins, including our sins in the area of money. Friends, let's come before him now In prayer, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he paid for our sin, knowing that he forgives completely all who turn to him. He cleanses our hearts uh, and knowing that by his Holy Spirit, he gives us the power to change. Let's come before him now. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we cannot thank you enough for persevering with us, for loving us even at the cost of your own son. I thank you that you have uh, given us money as a good gift, a gift to be received with thanksgiving and used and enjoyed in a way that honours you and builds your kingdom. Please help us in the coming week to reflect on our lives, to recognise any areas of sin, to truly repent, Do a U-turn, turn Turn away from sin and turn to you. To reconcile with anyone that we may need to do so. And lastly, to resolve, to confirm in our hearts that we are committed to living from this day on, honouring you in this area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.